Hey everybody, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and I want to take a breath, a deep breath, and be grateful that 2020 is finally over, and we have a golden chance in 2021 to take a good look at where we are and how we live and how we want our lives to go, and how we can make things better with a little peace, love, and most importantly, mutual understanding and consideration for the health of others. This episode, episode 137, marks the beginning of my 10th year producing this podcast. I never thought I'd get past the first six months, but the opportunities to talk theater with people from around the globe just kept coming. So here we are, and I am very glad you're all with me. So this month we have as our guest Janice Rabian. Janice is a costume designer and a storyteller, and earlier this year she conducted a research survey of a number of theaters and asked them specifics on how COVID-19 had affected their professions. Yeah, I know, it's a no-brainer that this virus has completely changed how we produce and attend theater. But speaking to her pool of respondents, Janice learned more than she expected. So, let's see, I found you through HowlRound and your your wonderful article, The Necessity of Pivoting. And I guess it's the hot topic right now for everybody in theater. Are we going to survive? How are we going to survive now that arguably the most critical portion of our industry, which is the audience right in front of us, um, has been, oh, I don't know, eliminated in most cases, uh, along with a lot of theaters that have been eliminated. So how did you come to... Uh, engage in this interview, and let's talk about some of the questions uh, that you selected. So let's start with why did you? How did you get involved in doing this in the first place? Oh, uh, I got involved in conducting these interviews in the first place because, uh, like most theater makers, I was staring down a summer with no work. Um, And I was starting to panic a little bit about how I was going to pay my rent and I was trying to find other avenues of income. And my university, the McGuire Ethics Center on campus, does a yearly fellowship that is public service and research-based every summer. And And which campus was this, by the way? Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. And so this fellowship is uh, paid with a stipend, and I had a little bit of research experience from my undergraduate degree. And so I very quickly, I think I had one week from finding this fellowship till when all of the paperwork was due for a proposal, I put together this um, idea to interview companies uh, in our industry of varying sizes and figure out just kind of hear how they were doing in this time. Um, and I think that was also partially I was trying to kind of quantify or figure out what was happening around me and get some semblance. Uh, I think I was trying to figure out for myself where this was all going and what was happening to companies who I had worked with or who I was hoping to work with down the line. And so that's how I came to this project. Um where were you at that particular point when everything changed? I was uh, here in Texas. Uh, in fact, I distinctly remember I had a dance show that was opening that very weekend. And I um, had been through tech and it was opening night and I was sitting there with a friend in the audience. 
And between each dance number, there's traditionally an intermission that's about 10 minutes and they'll bring the lights up. And it was all anybody could talk about. And everybody was checking their phones and you could hear the talking around us of, oh, do you hear there's a travel ban, travel's been shut down. And then the next intermission, it was, there's all these cases reported in Washington. And so um, I remember sitting there with my friend and we were just kind of hearing this thing bubble and grow around us. And then I think it was three days later, uh, Dallas and Texas went into lockdown. Wow. Lockdown is a new thing for everybody. Yeah, yeah. How, how did that affect your classmates and, and, and of course, yourself? I mean, because you were all there in classes, and then all of a sudden you weren't, I guess. Yeah, it was weird because um, I think a lot of people kind of experience this. You don't get to have a chance to, like, say goodbye or say, hey, we're this is the plan next week. So it just kind of happened. Uh drop of a hat. And so we quickly pivoted to Zoom classes uh, along with the rest of the country. And um, it was all right. I mean, like my art history lecture forged ahead, but for my design classes, it was a little bit more difficult because uh, in a theater design program, it's all based on critique. And a lot of that yeah. critique environment is based on who you're with in that room and the energy. And so it was a, uh, it took us a while to get used to that digital format. How did you how did you uh, accommodate that? Because it's one of those things where oh let me look let me look at what you've done and there's immediate personal tactile you know interpersonal I'll find a word for this in a second. <laughs> no, I get what I, I know right what you're getting at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was hard because well, transitioning to a digital format and communicating information that way was a big learning curve. Like it was kind of small things. So you can't look at a whole corkboard wall of your work in one big glance. Right. Now you have to put it all through like Google slides because you're sharing screen on zoom. And so we kind of had to figure out what was the best way to communicate information digitally, which I think yeah. is so important. I think it's going to happen more as we move forward. Yeah. We're going to get to that because that's a big question now. Yeah. Yeah, so that was, um, we had to figure out how to communicate digitally. We still were working with guest directors who would come in on a project and uh, consult on the design. And so it was how to facilitate what felt like an open group conversation when you can't talk over each other on Zoom. The platform just doesn't allow for it. Yeah. Um, so trying to create that casual tone while still giving everybody space to talk took some time. And I think by the end, we got pretty good at it. Yeah, we've, we've had to redefine how we actually physically communicate to each other now. Yeah. Instead of sitting around a table and interrupting each other or, you know, jockeying for armrests or whatever it happens to be, we're doing this all by tech. And there's a different, com completely different protocol. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think a different... Um, I think people are sometimes cautious when approaching it through tech or uh, there's a different etiquette to tech, yeah. which sometimes takes out that wonderful uh, energy that I love so much from a room mm -hmm. of us bouncing around ideas. But um, I think designers are adapting fairly well. Yeah. Well, I think we're all adapting better than we thought. Once yeah. you get past the initial, can you hear me? Can anybody yeah. see me? Hello? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And I think we're finding, I mean, I think this is every industry across the country that 
perhaps we didn't all have to be meeting in person quite so often as we were, um, which can be great, but isn't convenient for everybody. And so we could be working digital platforms and more just to accommodate for everybody's life. It's nice because, yeah, you don't have to be in person so much, which for me personally is an asset. Um, it's it's mm-hmm. it's definitely an, an uptick in the process. So let's talk about the actual interviews. What kind of questions did you come up with? Um, and then we'll start talking about some of the answers that you got. I know I talk about it in my HowlRound article, but initially my questions, I was trying to uh, quantify a bit more or be a bit more uh, data specific in the way I asked questions. So one of the things I wanted to know was, were audience members responding to what companies were offering and were people um, talking back and giving them feedback on their approach with digital platforms? And so when I started my process, I think I asked them to rate it on a scale of one to 10 with 10 being the best and most feedback and one being, oh, they're not talking about it or oh, it's really bad feedback. but within like three interviews, I kind of figured out that it's really difficult to ask someone to do that. And so I just kind of ditched the scaling of the question and began asking, are people giving feedback? What are some of the things they're saying? Yeah. Are you seeing interactions on your social media platforms or are they emailing you directly? So these were conversations. These weren't just, you know, <clears throat> uh, lists of questions sent out and hoping for a return. Truly, truly. And I think you probably get this with your podcast with talking with theater professionals is maybe you think it's going to be a list of questions and they'll answer and it quickly kind of goes off in a different direction or becomes <laughs> organic. Yeah. And so that's what started to change my approach is I would hop on Zoom thinking and I would promise in my email asking them to talk to me. Oh, it's going to be 20 minutes, quick questions. And an hour later, we'd still be sitting there and I'd be like, I still haven't got to the rest of this list. I mean, we've been talking about this one topic, which spun off into another topic. And so sometimes I found that they answered the questions before I needed to ask them. Mm -hmm. And I could move on to a different question that I had. Um, I also asked them things like, were they planning programming to help recover revenue that they lost from ticket sales? Um, if they had been partnering with other organizations in their area that maybe they hadn't worked with in the past. Uh, And the hardest question, I think, was when we were in the summertime, particularly, and thinking, oh, you know, I think by fall we're going to be good. Uh, How were they preparing for that green stage? Because states were starting to open back up, um, as we now know, prematurely. and so that was another difficult question is some places we're planning and we're starting to get PPE loans and to uh, prepare with sanitation methods. And some places we're like, no, we're going to hold off and see how this goes. Yeah, because nobody knew where they were going. Nobody knew how long this was going to last. Mm-hmm. And to all of a sudden change the way you do things, the way you structure your entire business depends on how long that structure is going to have to remain in place. Yeah. And since we know most theaters are so overloaded with money, they're giving it away on the streets. Uh, that was sarcasm, by the way. <laughs> uh, every dollar counts. Every dime counts. So 
it, how it's very hard to know what to do and for how long you're going to do it and how much to invest. Yeah, and I think that was the, uh, I found that that was the hesitation for a lot of companies is could they afford the money and time to prepare for that type of thing when we still didn't know the course that the virus was going to take. Um, and some places did have the resources and did have the time. And so they were ready to begin to prepare for reopening or to immediately begin programming that had some in-person components and some other mm -hmm. companies. I think one of the things holding them back from saying that is that they just couldn't afford to jump in and hope that it worked out. They had to take a moment and sit and watch what was going to happen around them and see yeah. what worked and what didn't. Sure. Yeah. It's because nobody's ever faced this before and nobody's ever thought that we'd have to face this before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What was the toughest question that people had to answer? Hmm. Um, I think the last one that I asked, I, uh, okay. I kind of foolishly walked in being like, oh, and you know, we're going to stay upbeat and we're going to end on a positive note. And so I would always close with the question what has been the most positive discovery that you've made in this time? Because I'm figuring that everybody's like me and wants to look on the bright side and the glass half full and wants to think about the silver lining. Um, and some people are like me. And for some people, it was really difficult. And, uh, and it was a really hard question to answer, giving, given how depressing some of the previous answers to questions had been. I mean, people, yeah. these companies were in very dire positions. Uh, and so to then ask these leaders, what well, what has been the most positive discovery you've made? Some people had to take a minute to think about it, um, but everybody did answer very graciously. And what I found from most people is it had the thing that had been the most positive had been the chance to slow down for a minute because you had to, because you yeah. didn't have another choice, which I think is really hard for individuals in this industry. I think it's hard for companies to do. Um, and that gave these companies the chance to look inwardly at their operations and uh, the way they'd been producing in their mission and to decide if that was a system they wanted to continue to move forward with or how they wanted to change things in a time where you kind of have to and now have the opportunity to. Yeah, it's uh, life decisions for theaters. Did any of the theaters come out and say, hey, this has actually been a blessing in disguise because now we get to think about all the changes that we never had time to do or we're thinking about, you know, we can come back in six months with a better, stronger business plan or dynamic for producing? Yes, a couple of places did say that. Um, I think when you, when a company's been running for so long, you start to kind of fall into the way you've always done things. Um, and it can be difficult to get out of that rut, especially when producing is your primary source of income. Uh, so a couple of places did express that the chance to um, slow down and to really think about how they wanted to operate moving forward. Uh, some places talked about sustainability and they felt like some of the practices they had had for a while weren't sustainable anymore. And so they could begin to change their operating systems and implement some more sustainable practices to keep the company from burning out in the long run. So a couple of places did express that. Yeah. 
It's just interesting because, you know, you get thrown for a loop like this, a major, absolute major loop that affects the entire industry. And it's interesting to see how some people respond. Some people like deer in the headlights and other people are like, yes, now I can, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. Okay. So what was your sample pool? How many people did you initially put this out to? How many responded? Um, and what, were, what was your total amount of responses for this? Um, let's see. I identified a couple of cities where I knew I had contacts or my sponsoring organization, um, the Cape Fear Regional Theater had contacts and could help me, uh, uh, get some interest for the interviews. And so by the end of the process, I had emailed, uh, about 90 theaters uh, seeing if they were interested in interviews. And I think in total, I ended up speaking to 33 companies. I, um, when I initially started, I really kind of figured that everyone was like me and just sitting around watching Netflix and they had nothing to do but answer emails. So I, uh, very foolishly was like, I'm going to get so many responses and uh, I think I was surprised when people didn't email back and weren't immediately jumping at it. And uh, it took me a while to kind of not only temper my expectations, but realize that I needed to give these people grace for the fact that they were trying to keep their companies from going under and sure, didn't yeah. necessarily have the time or didn't know who I was. And so they were like, well, I don't know you very well, so that's nice, but thank you. I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so that definitely changed uh, my approach to the project. And the interviews that I did have, have were so uh, wonderful and um, really enriching. So I, I'm thankful for the people who did respond. That's good. Yeah, it's it's kind of tough to do that. Um, to actually start talking about the situation that you're right smack in the middle of problem-wise, because half the people don't know where they're going and the other half only have vague ideas. Um, mm. In the sample pool, let's talk about the, the the kind of theaters that, you know, are we talking about 99-seat Lord theaters? Are we talking about community, uh, you know, community theaters, regional theaters? Uh, who are these folks? Uh, you just hit on it. I really tried to get the whole spectrum of theater in America within these regions and cities that I was looking at because I most of the headlines that I was seeing about the effect of the pandemic on the industry was related to Broadway. And I love Broadway. I've seen some wonderful shows, but Broadway is not, Broadway makes up such a small percentage of our industry across the entire country. Um, So I really wanted to stray as far away from that level as I could. And so I spoke to um, small community theaters who uh, get in about 500 audience members a year. And I spoke to regional theaters who have budgets of in the millions to work with throughout the year and who, uh, and who see audiences reaching into 50,000 every year. And so I really tried to, uh, one had one, one theater sees about 100,000 audience members a year. Wow. Um, Yeah, and they work with budgets in the millions. And so uh, 
I really wanted to get that wide spectrum of how are these big regional houses coping mm. with what's happening and how are these smaller community spaces doing? Because um, I think that's important. A lot of uh, families, community theater is like their introduction. Not everybody mm -hmm. gets to go see Broadway. And this is how mm. a lot of kids get interested in theaters through these smaller family houses. And yet, you know, regional theater is award-winning and in a lot of cases... Um, has reached great heights and sets the tone for a lot of our art form. And so I think it was important to look at how these two extremes were handling what was happening and everything in between. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting the way the, the, the various levels of theaters would respond, but I think they all have the common thing is, can we, uh, can we afford to keep this going and how do we actually reach our audience? Um, yeah. Which leads me to the next big thing here, and that is the theaters have had to stop the audience from coming in because nobody wants to get infected, and but they still have to produce their work. So I'm going to go in two different directions from here, and I'll start with this one. When you spoke to any of these theaters, did any of them talk to you about their populations, their their neighborhoods, their uh, the people who generally come to the theater, their communities, how many of them were, I'm going to say, more aware than typical of what was going on outside their theater doors? Mm. Um, I would say about a third of them uh, kind of hit that standard yeah. that you just described. I did some research before my interviews. Um, I looked up the city census for each region and the average mm -hmm. household income, just to get an idea of what these theaters were working with on a really general scale. Um, and it was, it was really great to see that a portion of them were so in tune with their community and knew what they were asking for. They knew why people came back to them. They knew how to access them without putting them in danger and bringing them into a certain space. Right. Um, and so that was really great. And I think some other companies were still kind of trying to figure out how exactly to do that. I would, I would say that all of them had some idea of their community and who was regularly coming to them and who they wanted to access, right? Like, that's part of the theater's operations is they know their audience base and they know who they want to bring in next. Um, but I would say about a third of them, like, really knew their community and had a really good um, tap into what they were looking for and how best to access them and how best to serve them in this time. A couple of companies had created programming that wasn't for any revenue at all and was just simply to serve the communities and keep them sane. Um, a couple of companies that particularly had good educational and children's programs were running like nighttime stories through Zoom where you could log on and an actor would read a bedtime story to your kids while you had a few minutes to sit down and kind of unwind for your day. So kind of giving well, that is such a, a good idea. Right, because like parents are spending all this time at home with their kids and also trying to work from home. And so um, a couple of companies had started programming like that and were he hearing great responses from their communities. Um, one company, the, uh, I wanna make sure I have the name right. 
the Bishop Arts Theater, which is in Dallas, Texas, was doing a patio live series where um, they were combating isolation in their senior citizen demographic. And so they were producing uh, performance pat performances in patios and parking lots of senior living facilities. So they knew that this was their community who regularly came to see their programming. And so they were bringing it to them um, to help combat the isolation that these people are feeling right now. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing to be doing. Yeah. And that that same artistic director had a quote that I remember putting in the article um, talking about how the community's been responding to things. And it basically boiled down to, uh, if you take care of the community, the community will take care of you. Yeah, I believe that. And it's nice to see some people who think that and believe it enough to put it into practice. Because, look, we all know from experience that theaters struggle every day just to keep the doors open, to keep the lights on, okay? Mm -hmm. And a large portion of... The upper, you know, the upper level is bent on getting money in the door and reaching out to the audience in order to get them to come into the theater and to keep this, you know, symbiotic relationship going. But to turn around and say, hey, we're going to read bedtime stories because now, you know what, we can, this is going to cost us much, but we can actually do something for the community where we don't really expect something in return. But, you know, we're building goodwill and we're showing the community that we care and maybe we can do something to help them a little bit. I think that's a wonderful thing to do. Mm -hmm. I think it's wonderful. I also, um, I know a lot of the theaters in downtown Washington, D.C., um, I lived outside that area for a little bit and my friends still work there. And I know that during the Black Lives Matter protests in mm. May and June, those theaters were opening their doors and providing water and snacks and bathrooms for people who were involved in the protests. And so that's another way that companies have been involved at this yeah. time and taking care of their community, even on a level that doesn't involve performance, simply, hey, you can come use the bathroom and here's a water bottle. Yeah. That's that's amazing. I, I want to actually get back to Black Lives Matter and, and that area of conversation in a moment. Um, but I do want to ask this. Out of the 33 companies that you did interact with, have any of them closed? Mm. Um, at the time of the interviews, uh, one company had closed. Um, that was partially because the executive director was in a transitional part of their lives and had mm -hmm. been considering whether or not to keep the company open anyways. Yeah. Um, and so I know one did for sure. Uh, since that time, I don't know if any of them have, but a couple of them were considering it or weren't sure that they were going to make it through the next calendar year or, um, I know one of the companies I spoke to in Orlando, Florida, had seen a couple companies around them fold and were trying to figure out how to stay afloat, yeah. seeing that in their their neighboring companies. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. I'm, I'm hoping that all of them somehow managed to find a way to keep going. But, yeah, hoping this thing will stop soon because this has been one hell of a year. Yeah. Um, Okay, last question about your interviews, because I always find interviews and statistics to be 
really interesting. Um, I don't take any of them, you know, it's Bible-wise, but um, once you got done with all of this and you're looking at the answers and you're looking at your list of questions, did you come to a realization that there was possibly maybe a question that you should have asked and didn't think about in the first place? Hmm. Oh, I love that. Um, I, I don't know if there's one that I felt like I missed. I think there were certain interviews where maybe we veered off course. And as we were expanding, I realized later, oh, I never got to ask them that question. And so I'm missing that information about yeah. them. Um, I also think it would be fun to, fun, fun's a strange word for it. I would love <laughs> <Interesting>. to, <laughs> interesting word for it. I would love to, you know, as we hit 2021, if, if I had all the time and ability in the world to go back and and do the interviews again and kind of do like a check check in six months later. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I got a lot of what I liked about it. I'm sorry, I'm rambling. What I liked about the interviews was I got to get a variety of responses and you kind of start to see where uh, these leaders wanted to steer the conversation, right? So each executive director and artistic director kind of has one question that they're really excited about or that they really strongly uh, feel about their answer. And so I think that was the thing that I found most fascinating rather than my long list of questions was where each conversation wanted to be directed yeah. and what they really wanted to expand on. Gotcha. Okay. Let's get a little personal here. Um, okay. tough question. How are you going to survive as a costume designer? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I know. George, it's... I knew. Oh gosh. Um, I don't know. I will say, uh, I'm incredibly thankful to still have one more year of graduate school while this is happening. Um, I have really good friends who graduated in May of this year, and they were kind of telling me, you know, oh, I'm so sorry this happened in your third year. This would have been the year that all these things happened, and I just yeah. wish this hadn't happened. And I, I, I understand their concern, and I'm so grateful they felt that way, but I was just thankful to still have a a stipend coming in and to have some place that I knew I had to show up to and to have a thing that I was doing, even if, even if it was just a theoretical project. And so, um, as I'm coming up on graduation in May, I'm starting to kind of figure out what that means for me now as a struggling artist. And I have been spending this year focusing on, um, diversifying my skill set and, uh, looking to be more involved in things that maybe I wasn't initially considering or what are other areas where my skill set apply that are still within the storytelling and entertainment industry that I am so passionately in love with that I decided to go into this career path and get a second degree in it. Um, That's commitment right there. Yeah. So the, the true <laughs> answer is, I don't know. <laughs> well, the reason I asked and it's a question everybody's asking themselves now. How do I continue as, you know, whatever it is I happen to be right now? And as a playwright myself, I'm like, I can sit at home in the right place till I'm blue in the face, but who knows if they're ever going to go anywhere. Right. Um, but you're also a storyteller. And I want to talk to you about that. But I have seen some stuff online. Okay. You know, 
plays that have been zoomed online, and they've been done in different ways. But the more higher end of these, and I've seen quite a few of them, they've all had costumes. They've all needed, as far as I could tell, the stage managers, they've needed the set designers, they've needed the costume designers, they've needed everybody they've needed before. It's just that now the the mode of production has changed, but the elements within that those productions seem to be relatively close to what they were pre-pandemic. Let's talk about your storytelling, because you've, you've mentioned to me that you are a storyteller, and I would really love to hear all about that. Yeah, um, I, I think what I mean by that is that I think anyone who works in a in a performance area or an entertainment industry is a storyteller, right? That's what we're, that's what we're really doing at the end of the day. Even the technicians, they're, they're storytellers. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think for me, I always felt I could be happy doing any sector within the entertainment industry. As long as I'm telling stories, that's the thing I'm always, I've always been crazy about. That's all I've really ever wanted to do. Uh, and so I'd be happy doing whatever I had to do to keep doing that. Um, I think, like you said, there's still a world where design is necessary. And sure, like you yeah. said, we're, we're still seeing in, even in Zoom plays, you, you have costumes of some kind. Even if there wasn't a designer hired, those actors got together and thought, okay, we're all going to do black shirts and blue jeans. And that's a costume decision. It's a costume decision. Yes, it is. I've yeah. done it a hundred times myself. Yeah, and it informs the audience. So I think the the nice thing that I the thing that I'm seeing as a designer coming out of all these digital productions is there's still a need for design in our storytelling, and also mm -hmm. we still care if it looks good or not. Yeah. We've all seen some bad Zoom performance where we're like, wow, they really didn't think about the room they were in, right? And so <laughs> that that kind of does bring me a little bit of joy where I'm like, okay, so we're still we still care about this. We still care about what things look like and the kind of uh, essential beauty of what these stories are and, and how we communicate that. So I, I hope there's always going to be some form of storytelling. I think it might just look different than what we've been used to for the last 50 years. Yeah. Talking about it being different, mm. and because we were talking about tech, like Zoom, and right now that's been the way a lot of theater practitioners have managed to stay active in reaching out to the audience is, is Zoom and you know mm -hmm. uh, other like programs that because we can't get together next to each other anymore, we have to get together via the internet and via the tech. And that solution has presented its own problems, of course, um, access and bandwidth and all that sort of happy nonsense. But I think it's also opened up the possibilities of reaching out to much wider audiences now, with that yeah. extremely long-winded in, uh, intro, my question is, do you think that when this thing recedes and we start to get together again physically, whether it's a vaccine, whether it's wh whatever happens and theater starts to return to normal, 
Do you see, especially in maybe your area or similar areas, that the tech will have become a standard part of what theaters do? I've wondered about that. You know, I've thought, are we going to continue trying to do one Zoom play a season? You know, if, if I'm hypothetically an artistic director of a company, do I plan Zoom productions into my season? Do I start building those into um, accessibility performances where yeah. now it's now in addition to um, professional uh, ASL translators and uh, more accommodating lighting and design, do we also stream a, a section of our performances throughout the season? And I hope that that is something that we start to see because not everybody can afford to go see live theater. Um, oh, yeah. And it's something that I even struggle with and I work in this industry. And I, uh, as someone who wants to support other artists and go see the work, but I'm a, I'm a graduate student. And so sometimes I kind of look at the ticket price and I go, ooh, 45 no. bucks. yeah. And I yeah. go, ah, do I know anyone at that company? Can I get a comp to that? Mm -hmm. And I try to finagle my way into something because, of course, I want to pay artists for their time. But yeah, sure. Um, I think this year is proving we're going to hit a we're, we're in an economic recession and it's difficult. And it was difficult before that for people to afford to go see the art live. And so I think the lovely thing about Zoom streaming is you can pay 20 bucks for a household and see a show. Yeah. that you wouldn't get to see otherwise. I think that's wonderful. I think it's amazing. Yeah, you know, the, I think it's The more really people you great. can reach with your art form, and this is a perfect opportunity for it. Mm -hmm. And maybe it encourages them, maybe they say, okay, we've Zoomed all of the plays that this company has produced this year, but we're going to splurge and we're going to go see that last one in person. Yeah. Um, so maybe that attracts some new audience members or at least makes it that, you know, if, if I get sick and I can't come see a performance, can I transfer my ticket to the stream link for that night and see yeah. the stream of the show? Why not? Possibilities are, are amazing now that there it seems to be opening up opportunities, especially for people who can't make it out their doors. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we have those wheelchair spaces and we do have special needs accommodations but for those people who can't make it outside their doors, you know, for whatever reason, be it physical or mental, you know, restrictions, mm -hmm. this is a beautiful way to bring your work to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope we I hope that continues. I think that's that's something that a lot of companies wanted to highlight in the interviews was we've had people from other countries tune in. We've had people from out of state tune in. And so I I hope that by incorporating more um, technology into the way we operate just also because it's high time, right? It's 2020. Yeah, We've got yeah. all of it at our fingertips. Yeah. So let's use it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to hit one last question. It's a biggie. Um, all right. But you alluded to this, and you actually dealt with this in your article. It was much more than an illusion. Um, while you were doing your research, you touched on the murder of George Floyd. Mm. And you spoke about that. Can you talk about what you found and how it affected what you were doing? Um, yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, the murder of George Floyd happened in May, uh, which was right about the time that I was starting my interviews. So I think I had one week of interviews before his murder. 
And then um, it very quickly became a part of these conversations in a lot of ways without me even bringing it up. I mean, people just, the individuals that I talked to knew that this was happening in our country, that it was something that we needed to address as a community as across every state. Um, and it was something that they felt they needed to address within the way that they operated. And I think, um, oh, it's so hard to say, but I've always kind of felt that as much as our industry likes to um, say that we're very inclusive space, I think we always haven't always done a very good job of it in our operating systems, especially in regards to our peers who are people of color. Sure. Um, and so I, what I was noticing is that people were acknowledging that this was something that they were complicit in and that the industry promotes in a lot of ways and that mm -hmm. it isn't always equitable. And so without needing to embed a question into my interviews, it naturally started to bubble up and people began talking about how they were acknowledging that they needed to change their operating system um, that they wanted to be more supportive to their peers who were people of color and how could we better support our BIPOC community. Um, but like I talked about in my HowlRound article, I found that uh, companies that were led by BIPOC leaders had been doing that work for a long time. And yeah. that came up in conversation. I had a couple artistic directors be like, you know, we're seeing this happening and we're seeing it pop up, but we've been doing that for years. We're already there. It's yeah. time for everybody else to catch up. So it was some tough, we had some tough conversations and I think a lot of people had to acknowledge that um, as much as we like to talk about sustainability and how the industry is gonna change in this pandemic, they hadn't even thought of that right. until his murder. The tough questions are usually the ones that open up to good things happening later on, breaking through. As long as somebody's willing to start the conversation, yes, other people will join in more and more. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm with you on that one. It's yeah, it's long past time for the whole of the community to be engaged and for theater to reflect the people that not only inhabit its seats, but should be inhabiting its seats. Yes, yeah. yes. And I think the, and doing a better job to acknowledge our contributors, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, so my hope is that those companies are continuing in that work. And um, more importantly than that, I think that's an individual journey that all of us as storytellers need to go on. I mean. I know myself, there were times where I didn't question inequity or didn't even recognize it in the room. And right. I need to do better with that in the design world, particularly in the past, there's been this shroud of mystery surrounding fees and contracts. And I think that's something we just have to get rid of and start talking about and breaking that glass ceiling, because how can we say we want to a better industry without making sure that everybody has better access yeah. to those things. And so I'm, I'm hoping that in addition to these companies doing that work, that the individual individuals within those companies and that individuals who are freelancers are taking some time to think about 
what we could have done better and then what we are going to do better moving forward. I agree. Tough conversations, but they need to be had and they need to be yes. had over and over. Yes. Yeah. Well, Janice Rabian, thank you so very, very much. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thanks for joining us today and talking about what you found with your research. Thank you so much for having me. This has been delightful. I wish you nothing but the best, um, uh, the best of luck and the best of health in 2021. And let's hope this is a much better year than the last one was. <laughs> I'll drink to that on New Year's. It'll be hard to do. <laughs> okay. Take care. Take care. Hey, kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater we haven't covered yet, or know someone in the theater who would make really good chat, send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. Onstage Offstage believes in and advocates for a world where all people are free to live their lives as they wish, in peace and without fear. We believe in universal respect, diversity, and equality in all areas of life for all people, no matter what their nationality, race, religion, age, sexual status, or gender. Onstage Offstage will never promote or endorse those who seek to diminish others because of who they are. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening, and please, kids, stay safe. Be careful for yourself and for those with whom we share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you. <laughs>